You're listening to Sermon Cast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Last week we kind of started this mini-series called Who He Says I Am, talking about identity and kind of remember kind of our tag statement was our identity is in whose we are and not who we are or have been. We are who he says we are. Think about this. Identity, um, it seems like this simplistic thing that if you've been in church for a long time, maybe you've heard people talk about identity over and over and over again. I'm telling you, and I personally, Rob Dans, need to be reminded over and over and over and over again, say over again, and one more time, over again, need to be reminded about who I am in Christ Jesus and who he is. Here's why. Because if I don't, my mind starts to race and I start to take control of things that I don't really think I know I have control of. I start to think thoughts. My head becomes my place of truth. And as you know, as many of you know, if you could testify that when your head becomes the house of truth, there's a problem. Amen. Like we need to be dictated to. We don't dictate truth on the outside. And if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, that is a huge problem. A huge problem happens when you walk around defeated all the time and you walk around like, oh God, just um, uh, like stupid things that I say that I'm guilty of. I'm just, I'm going to get into the basement of heaven. That's not hell. It's just a lower level of, the, of, of, uh, of heaven. Uh, I'm just going to be in the servants' quarters. There's no, there's no servants' quarters uh, in heaven. There's just houses of sons and daughters. There's new life in Jesus, new heaven and a new earth. Amen. If we don't baptize our hearts and our minds in who we are in Christ Jesus, we will end up feeling burnout, um, uh, totally um, um, discouraged most of the time. By the way, if you're someone who walks around feeling more discouraged than hopeful, there's an identity problem, right? Walking around more in anger and the lack of forgiveness, there's an identity problem. Identity is at the core of everything we are because we are who he says we are. Now, here's one of the greatest things on earth. I am a professional arguer with God about who I am in Christ Jesus. Anybody else testify? Right? Like, like well, God, you don't know. And actually, which is stupid because you're like, he's like, uh, well, uh, I, I do know. Uh, I, think I, I think I know I'm the sovereign God of the, of the ages. I am over all things. I know every thought in your, your little head. I know every hair on your head. Well, God, you just don't understand. And it comes down to this. I don't understand. And I have got to, as a believer, whether I'm two years in, two days in, 20 decades, 20 decades, that's a long time, two decades, 40 years in, no matter how long I'm in, I have to re-baptize my brain. That's why the scripture said, daily renewing our minds about who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, it can take another turn and go myopic, and it could be all about me, 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 me. That's not what I'm talking about. Like identity has this twofold thing. One, for people who want to tear themselves down all the time, that means we have to fight literally like Hades to have our mind brought into what the current state of Christ's mind is. And then there's other, others of us in the world that don't think that we're that bad. We think we're okay. And the scriptures say we're all sinners. It's all worthy of death. And we have to get a new identity. Now, that's not masochistic. That's true. We are sinners. We are broken in Christ Jesus. We are the righteousness of God. We are sons and daughters. Those two things will not line up with how you feel. Those two things never line up with how you feel. Your flesh is going to continue down the road of condemnation. Your flesh is going to continue down the road of choosing the things that aren't true. And we have to walk by the Spirit and know who we are. Amen? 
Last week we talked about being royal priests, amen, which was, uh, which was which helpful. Today's text is going to talk about exposing the, the security we have in Christ. Our identity is secure because we are his security. How many of us deal with insecurity? How many of you at one time or another thought that maybe God just doesn't love you anymore because you've screwed up so bad and you just, you just walked beyond his grace and there's nothing else you can do and you're just completely insecure in Christ Jesus. Insecurity in our brain and in our hearts and in our flesh is wicked because it goes contrary to what the scriptures say, period. Like there's actual verses that say you can know without question that you have salvation that we are in the security of God's strong hand, that we are sons and daughters who are cherished, not somebody he will throw out and get tired of and put you up for adoption. You are secure in Christ Jesus. Amen? Insecurity is an enormous battle. Uh, One major reflection we should have when we look in the mirror is, is, is Jesus is security. You should be able to look at yourself and go, I am a secure one in Christ Jesus. Amen? I am secure. Now, if I were to take a poll this morning of how many of you feel really secure, like in the arms of Christ, in the arms of God, secure, I don't know, we would all raise our hand and agree and say, yes, there's an insecurity problem that we need to work through. Amen? I have known a vast many of people over the years of doing this for almost 20 years uh, is, is that this insecurity piece is an enormous part that people battle with. And so today we're going to go to the scriptures in Romans chapter 8. Get out your Bible, your devices. Give a shout out on, on WhatsApp. Yeah, I blew your mind with that one, didn't I? WhatsApp. <laughs> if you don't use WhatsApp, you're not using WhatsApp. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. Open your scriptures will also be on the screen behind me. I'm going to read through this and we're going to break it down. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who, is, is, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, but we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our tagline for today is this. You can just throw that up there. Our identity in Jesus is secure. And regardless of what comes your way, our way, nothing can separate us from, his, from him and his love. Amen? So Paul lines out a few questions here. He says, what shall we say? Who can be against us? Who shall accuse us? Who shall condemn us? Who shall separate us? And as we look in the uh, verse 31, this is where we're going to begin as we break this down just a little bit. What then shall we say to these, to these things? Well, when you say, what then, what should you ask? 
What then? Thank you, beautiful woman in the front. Amen. It says, what then? So it means we got to go back. we got to exposit a little bit about what was in context of the last text. The last text before our text where we're at this morning is this. And those whom he predestined, this is Romans 8.30, he also called. And those who he justified, called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Listen, this, this, this what then shall we say was to this. What is our response to being predestined? Predestined means we have been chosen before before time that you are his chosen before time existed that you are his that he is your redeemer and you will be redeemed and you will be with him forever amen we are called he gives us call into his glory we are all called he's calling us to him he's calling us into service he's calling us into glory he's calling us into his peace that passes understanding but he calls us name by name one by one we are justified, as it says, which justified just means declared to be right. And this is a momentary thing. It happens in one fail swoop. You are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're justified, and that means that you are made right, considered clean in Christ Jesus. We are glorified, the last one says. It means to be clothed with the glory that God himself has. This is still future tense, but it's also spoken in the past tense, which means it's so certain that it says it happened already. So if you look at those things, he says, what shall we say to being predestined? What shall we say to being called? What shall we say to being justified and glorified? Number one, here's just my own little opinion. One thing I should respond with, what shall I say? Nothing. I should just bow down in reverence to the God of heaven. That a man like me with such a broken past and a broken life with nothing good to show on my own would be one that is predestined by God. That before time began, Rob, I mean, Rob, whoo, this is where the church went sideways. This is where God, <laughs> or, or more sideways. Anyway, this is, this is where God said that one, we're going to create that one and that one's going to be mine and he's going to reign with me. What should I say to being called and glorified and justified? Second thing is we should say everything, in my own humble opinion. We should praise and proclaim him everywhere. Amen? Like holy moly, the God of heaven has predestined us to be his. We should shout and give God the glory because, listen, you are going to reign with him forever. Like I said, you're going to be with him. There come a moment when you close your eyes for the final time and you open your eyes again, and you're going to be in glory with the Lord God. And until that time, the Holy Spirit of God resides in your heart and your spirit is with you always, making sure that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're walking through. We're not stuck. We're not dead. Amen. Sometimes I think we forget the significance of the cross and why we have to baptize our hearts in the gospel every morning. Amen. He says, so what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, here's the question. Is God for us? And I'm not saying, give me your Sunday school answer. I'm saying, do you really feel like God's for you? I mean, do you really feel like he's with you and for you and he's proud of you and he loves you? Um, the word if in there means since or because. It's, a question. it's not a question. Then if it says who, if, if God is for us, it actually states in the Greek, since God is for us, who can be against us? We read in Romans 8, 15 through 16. Thank you. 
happy, cheering guy. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in the fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with us that we are the spirit, uh, with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen, a good father can't be anything but for his children. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I love my kids, and we don't always see eye to eye on how that always flashes out. You can ask any of them. But the point is, like, there is nobody else on the face of the earth besides me and their mama that wants everything and the best for them. Like, our whole, all the mistakes we made and all the positive things we did over the years, they are what they are. But our heart has always been that our kids would succeed us in faith in belief, and that they would run beyond us in years of the kingdom. And I've always been for my kids. Listen, the father of heaven, who's a good father, is for us. This guy named Newell says, our weak hearts prone to legalism and unbelief receive these words with great difficulty. God is for us. They have failed him, but he is for them. They are ignorant, but he is for them. They have not yet um, brought forth much fruit, but he is for them. Here's the problem. He's, he's, here's the problem is you think that it equates to what we've done or what we're doing or how good we are. And the cross says something totally different. You are, he is for you because he is. Literally, he is for you because he is. He is the God of heaven and you are predestined and you are his and you are glorified and you are justified and he is for you just because he is. He is the great father. He's not the dad that sits on the sidelines and gets some of you who play sports or way too much sports with your kids, whatever you do, God bless you. Um, you know, there's those dads on the sidelines that are just like, critical Carl yelling at the referees and all that stuff. And God is not that dad. God is not that guy yelling, hey, you could do better. What's your problem? He's the one yelling on the sidelines like, I love you. You can do this. Just keep going. Don't quit. He is that father. The scripture continues to go on in verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? <laughs> I grew up in, in Southern California in the 80s, and um, gangs were exploding. And, uh, and to be a gangbanger, I was not. I was just a wannabe kid hanging out with the cool guys, you know what I mean, kind of thing. I was too hardcore to be a hardcore gangster. And I remember that a bunch of my friends and stuff, when they joined these gangs, Kids I grew up with in elementary school, and as we got into middle school and high school, they would join these gangs. And to prove that they were down, there were things that they had to do, like you had to get jumped in to be part of a gang. And a lot of gangs, we used to have this berry-by thing where these bloods would drive down the street, and they would leave their lights off. And if you flashed your lights at them, that was the person you were supposed to shoot, literally, to prove that you were down and you were a gangster, and you were down with a click. That was what you had to do. You had to prove it. When Jen and I got married, she wanted me to prove, prove my love for her. So she made me call all the girls that I ever hung out with and tell them that I was getting married to this beautiful queen. Amen. That's gangster. She wanted me to prove it. <laughs> and I wasn't saying no. She, she meant what she said. And, um, and so I did. God bless you. Pour all those hearts broken all at one time. <laughs> Gosh, let's pray for those women right now. <laughs> 30 or 40 of them, 40 of them. Two that probably didn't even understand why I was calling them. <laughs> uh, but they had to prove themselves. This is the thing it says, this is why this next text is so prominent. prominent. It's verse 32 again. He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. 
If you want to know if the Lord is with you, look at the cross. If you want to know that Jesus is for you, look at the cross. Um, He gave his own son for all. Every time wickedness of insecurity crosses our mind, the Lord's answer to this is Jesus. Yeah, but God, I'm not enough. Yeah, but I screwed up again, the cross. Yeah, but God, you don't understand my thoughts. No, the cross. God, I I didn't mean what I did with my hands or what I did with my heart. There's unforgiveness in every single time, and there needs to be repentance for sin. But every single time, those aren't disqualifiers, disqualifiers. He's saying, God, you can't be with me. I'm such a schmo. I'm so indoctrinated with sin. I keep messing up. And over and over and over again, the proof is, God, are you for me? And the Lord's answer is the cross like the blood of Jesus, over and over and over and over again. And so as we go back to the point then, his question, his original question is, and who can be against us? (laughs) The God of salvation, the author of life and the universe is your father and absolutely on your side. So who can be against us? Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 118.6, as the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Who? Who can be against us? It doesn't say that we don't have enemies. Paul had enemies. It doesn't say that we will have people who come against us in their way. But the point is, when he says who, what does he mean? (laughs) He means it's nothing. Comparatively, it's nothing. It's wiped out because the God of heaven loves you. The God of heaven is for you. So no matter what anyone says about you or does it to you, cannot steal who you are in Christ Jesus and your identity. Listen, including yourself including yourself and what you say about yourself. Who can bring a charge against you? Now, I just, who accuses us? And I started thinking about this, like the word charge in there means accuse of wrongful actions and condemn. So who accuses us? The devil, Revelation 12, 10, listen to what he's called. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down Who accuses them day and night before God? What is his name? Accuser, and he's what? That's the Greek for in deep doo-doo. Who else, who else accuses us? The world does. If anyone hates you, Jesus said in John 15, 8, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. People don't like us just simply because who we belong to bring accusations to us. Guess what? It doesn't matter because the I am says we are. Amen? Christians accuse one another. We'll find all throughout the place, Galatians 5.15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Like what happens in the midst of God's people when we start to bring accusations instead of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy with one another? It's, it's, it's wicked. We accuse ourselves, but the Lord says you're not because of who you belong to. And we accuse ourselves. Who's the greatest accuser of your life? Probably you. I know you. It's definitely you. Who's the greatest accuser of your life? Who's the one who reigns over you how inadequate you are? Yeah. Scripture moves on to say it's God who justifies, declares to be made right, 
Justification is like this legal act where God deems the sinner righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness. So is he for us? Yes, he is justifying us. Yes, he has justified us. It's not a process. It's a one-time thing. Again, who will bring a point against you? A bigger point than God's justification? Nobody. He is the ultimate truth. And then verse 34 goes on to say, then who's to condemn? So we're walking in this step in these processes. The next part of verse 34 says, who was to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Listen, sin deserves condemnation. Who condemns us? Sin, sin does. This is where we start to get confused. For the wages of sin is death, it says in Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Listen. Our sin deserves condemnation, but because he died, Jesus took our sins to the grave. Because he was raised, he defeated death. Because he sits at the right hand and he intercedes for us. Do you understand that the God of heaven, Jesus, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you? And every time a blemish comes through, Jesus said, blood paid for, blood paid for, blood paid for. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. We have a God that intercedes. Romans 8, 1 says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 8, 10 through 11 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, well, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Look at the, the woman caught in adultery. Think about it for a minute. She's guilty, and they have condemned her. They, they brought her to Jesus' feet to test him to see if they can stone her or not to kill her. That was the law. She was worthy of death. She, had, she was a, a promiscuous woman messing around, all this stuff. She got caught in the act. There was no jury that needed to decide. The judgment came. She's guilty. And the words of Jesus, can you imagine a woman that has been caught in condemnation, has grown up her entire life to know that she is deserving of death and she gets brought to the feet of Messiah by the religious leaders, by a mob. And in it, Jesus says, who stands to condemn you? After they've been called out on their own, for those of you with no sin, cast the first stone. And can you imagine what it was like to be on the ground and for Jesus to reach down and look at your face and her face and say, woman, who condemns you? Her answer was no one. You got to embody yourself into that place. There is no longer, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are secure. Um, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Not that there's not going to be a weapon. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Listen to that. You shall refute every tongue that rises against your judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Amen. Once the ultimate condemnation and sin is done with, um, everything else is null and void. Amen. Many of us know this, but, but a lot of us are still living in condemnation. And maybe here's the point of this is maybe you should knock it off. 
Maybe we should all take a hard look at the voice that's inside our head continually. Listen, (laughs) if we're supposed to refute every tongue that rises against us in judgment, as it says in Isaiah 54, like we just read, when was the last time that you refuted (laughs) in your mind about what you say about yourself? I'm not saying, as we said last week, you have to be Stuart Smalley. You got to put on this fake face. I'm talking about a real baptism of identity of who we really are. God, you are graciously loved. You have been redeemed by the one who already knows you're not good enough. And yet he loved you still. Amen? Verse 35 then says this as we round the corner. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or anger, or excuse me, or danger or sword? The word separate in the Greek means to place a wedge between, and it's also a synonym for amputate. So literally, when you think about that word for a minute, who shall separate, who shall, who shall amputate us from the love of God? Uh, no one times 10,000. The only way we walk in the separation from God is when we have convinced ourselves in our mind that we have to be separate because he doesn't want anything to do with us. And even then, you're not separate from the love of God. You are avoiding the love of God. You are denying the love of God. But you're not separated from the love of God. Everybody say, no one times 10,000. No, I mean, say it like 10,000 times. <laughs> the end of our text says in verse 36 through 39, listen, said, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, which is Psalms 44, 22, by the way. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It gives like this laundry list. Number one, death for the believer. Look, death is just a doorway into the fullness of God. Amen? So when we take our last breath, when we, 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 we fade out on this earth, that is not the end of it. It doesn't separate us from the love of God. Matter of fact, we walk into the fullness of the love of God. Amen? It says life. For some of us, life seems to be more challenging than death. Amen? But there's nothing if when we are alive that can separate us from the love of God. No matter how difficult, no matter how scary, no matter how separated we feel, we are not separated from the love of God. Angels. Isn't it interesting that he puts angels in there? No matter how strong, if they wanted to and they rebelled and came against you, you could not be separated from the love of God. Demons. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I always say this. We always get somebody in here that's got some bad theology on demonology where they're like, ah, they're getting me. And in the end, we have authority in Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to mock. Uh, The attack of the enemy is real. The attack of the demonic is real, but we have authority. We have authority over the demonic. We speak the name of Jesus over everything and all things. We cast out things. We bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. It cannot, no annoying demonic anything can separate you from the love of God. 
the present, he says. There's nothing happening right now that can move you out of the arms of Jesus. The future, there's nothing that you're going to face in the future that can fracture your relationship with Jesus and his love for you. Powers, every power in the world is subservient to the power of the Almighty God. Height, you can't get higher than him. Depth, there's no valley deep that you're going to go through that God is not there and anything else in all creation, just in case. Paul just whips that in there just in case he forgot everything, forgot anything. Anything else in creation. Listen, you are inseparable. You are inseparable from the Father. You're inseparable from the Lord, from Jesus and his love, which means you're inseparable from that identity that is secure in him. How do we walk in security? How do we get to a place where we're not always walking around feeling banged up or beat up or like we're not good enough? Simple and difficult, we abide. We stay in his presence. We tend to believe, I know it's hard, but honestly, we believe our thoughts over scripture a lot of times. Like somehow in all of the universe, out of the billions of people that have ever been placed on earth, you were the one exception that got away. <laughs> like you were the one that God said, oh, I missed one, darn it. Well, I'm, I'm 999 billion to one. So that's a pretty good ratio. There's nobody that's outside of that. And it comes down to renewing our minds daily of how precious you are to him. And that nothing can separate. Now, if you feel separated, then it means you have work to do. It means that you have to dig in and say, why? Is there something going on in me? Is there sin, unrepented sin? Not because he is pulled away from you and he's not there anymore, because your sin is separating you. There's something going on in the chasm of your relationship. Like, Jesus, what is it? Why do I feel so far away? And I'm not talking about seasons where people ebb and flow, where you're hearing from the Lord and, and you know, 24-7, and then, and then you're in a place where the Lord seems to be more silent than anything. By the way, that, do, you, do you realize that those ebb and flows, those aren't discipline. Those aren't punishment for anything. You understand that? There's something sweet about the still small voice of the Lord, and there's something about the roar of the Lord. They're equally as sweet. Sometimes the Lord just wants us to shut up for a minute. And I say that in the kindest daddy way. Hey, son, shut up. <laughs> um, back to our big boom idea. Our identity in Jesus is secure, and regardless of what comes our way, Nothing can separate us from him and his love. Beloved, we are inseparable from the love of God. 